0: amen beautiful worship Robin thank you so much what a blessing good morning women of God how y'all doing now good I like the enthusiasm you just keep that going hey hey I have a couple of photos I'm gonna show you this week for those of you who are visual learners, because you know, there are those of you out there. And so it just kind of quicken your imagination and put you in the scene more more or less. Uh, the first one is a view of a field of grain in Israel. Of course, this is a modern day picture and I just got it off the internet. It was attributed to be in the Bethlehem area. And I don't know about y'all, But when I look at that, I think that is a lot of hard work. But you know what? If you lived in an agrarian society, you would look at that and think, we get to eat. And so you would be really thankful to see that kind of a field of grain waiting for you. And isn't it a beautiful location, but it does look a little hot, doesn't it? So that'll just give you an idea what... Ruth might have looked at when she came into the field of Boaz. We left off last week with Boaz meeting and speaking to Ruth for the very first time. And he invited her to remain under his protection and receiving his provision during the whole duration of not just the barley harvest, but the wheat harvest as well. And I have some information just FYI, stuff. In ancient Israel, the primary harvest season extended from April to November depending on the crop. So it was subdivided into three seasons and the three major crops. So there would be the spring grain harvests. That would be both the barley and the wheat. And that would last roughly seven weeks, depending of course on the bounty and how many workers you had out there in the field. Then you would have the summer harvest and that was the grapes And the autumn harvest would be the olives. So depending on what crop you are growing, or if you're growing all three, you can see you would be busy for a good portion of the year just in the harvesting. But every time you went into that field and pulled something off a tree or off of a stalk of grain, you could be thankful that the Lord had visited his people again and brought them the rains that they needed and the sunshine they needed, and you were gonna get to eat. Remember, the story begins in the time of the judges, and there's a famine in the land that begins our story. And as I was studying and preparing this week, once again, it came home to me how very important it is for us to be thankful. Thankful for the handfuls of purpose that God has provided for all of us, whether we recognize it like a huge standing field of grain or the smallest thing like I'm making all the green lights through traffic, you know, you're breathing his air. So you have at least that to be thankful for. and. As I see Ruth's reaction, I am just reminded again how important it is for us to have a heart of thanksgiving. Jesus expected it and he looked for it. And I know that because there is the story of the 10 lepers and he cleansed them all and sent them all on their way. And how many came back? But one. And what was his reaction? He of course received the thanks. And I think that guy received more than a cleansing from leprosy, he received salvation. The other guys were just cleansed here and now, but their eternity was not secured. And Jesus says, when the one comes back and says, thank you. He says, were there not 10? He was looking for the other nine to say thank you. And so as I have been looking at that, this lesson this week, that has really been the the foremost thing in my mind. And we will see how Ruth really and truly is thankful for all that Boaz is doing for her, little knowing, y'all, that in about a year's time, she's gonna be mistress of the very fields that she's gleaning. That's an amazing thing. And I also think it didn't cost Boaz too much to bless Ruth abundantly. He was a, ma- a mighty man of wealth, remember? He had a- an abundance to give and to bless. It didn't cost him anything. It didn't diminish him at all. And the same is true for Jesus. When he blesses you, he still got a storehouse left for the woman sitting in the chair next to you or behind you or whomever. Your need does not diminish his capacity. And it is his joy to bestow blessings on his children. Now, what's our part? Thank you, God, no matter how big or small it is. Thank you, Lord God. And that's what we see happening right here We know that Boaz has far exceeded the letter of the law of gleaning because of Ruth's reaction. So we'll pick up where we left off last week, Ruth chapter two, verse 10. And it says, then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? And I forgot to show you the other picture or maybe they put it up and I was just not attentive. Just this is an artist's rendition of what it might've looked like for Ruth in the day. So she's got her bundle. She's picking up in the, uh, the gleanings that are left behind. And you can see how the harvest crews are behind her working into the field. Uh, Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown tell us that it was the women's job to do the reaping and the men's job to sort the sheaves. So as these women are working, uh, you're going to see again that Boaz is going to bless Ruth abundantly. So just to quicken your imagination, again, for those of you who are visual, the lady on the on the off side of Ruth is giving her a drink of water. Do you remember one of the provisions that Boaz said was you can drink water that my servants have drawn? And here you see a picture of that. So that's just for y'all, okay? No extra charge <laughs> for that. So here is Ruth saying, why have you looked upon me with such favor? I'm not like the other women, meaning, I am not Jewish, I'm not a Hebrew, I am, and she says it, a foreigner. Last week I mentioned that that word has a negative connotation. It can mean a strange person, an adulterous woman, or a harlot. And the Hebrew root for this word means calamity, disaster, or misfortune. So you see, in this word, why are you looking upon me with such favor? Have you guys ever stood before the Lord Jesus Christ and said, what were you thinking? Why me? What is man that God is mindful of him? I have this conversation with the Lord a lot. I told the ladies in the summertime, there's not a sin I've missed, y'all. And I don't have a much higher opinion of you because the all... All like sheep have gone astray. And there have been times in my life where I have been broken before the Lord and thought, what were you thinking when you saved me? It's just amazing to me. And that's sort of the attitude that Ruth is having here before Boaz. I do find it almost amusing how many times Ruth is identified by that ancestral tag. That nationality is a label that is slapped on her throughout the book. And if someone else is not calling attention to it, Ruth does it herself. And that happens to us all the time in this sin filled world we're living in. The enemy will come up and creep in and in his still small voice, he will whisper in our ear, you are, and he'll slap a label on you. And it has something to do with what you have done some habit that you have, something that has been done to you, whatever it is, he wants us to wear a label that has shame and negativity attached to it. But that's not Jesus' purpose. I would like for you to behold a new creation right here. And I wanna put a label on me that is truth based on the word of God. I wanna wear the label that says beloved in Christ, the apple of his eye, accepted in the beloved holy and blameless it blows my mind sometimes i don't feel like that's true but the word of god declares it is true and so when the enemy comes whispering in my ear i say lord would you please tell him to shut up and leave me alone i'm not going to say i bind you satan who am i i don't know if y'all remember the story about the seven sons of Skiva. When they encountered a demon-possessed man, and they said to him, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, you know, they're throwing all these names at this guy. And the demon inside says to the seven sons of Schema Sceva, I have heard of Paul, and I know who Jesus is, but who are you? And then he beats him up and they're stripped in naked, running down the street, fleeing from this creature. You know, I don't want to put myself in the position where I'm throwing names at him. I didn't do anything to defeat him, but my savior did. So I stand over here and I say, Lord, would you please tell him to shut up and leave me alone? And then I fill my heart and my mind with praise and with truth from the word. And when my mind and my heart are being saturated like that, those labels just slough right off. And I'm wearing what is true in the sight of the Lord. So I just give that to you today. You have a new identity in Jesus. Don't believe the lie. Put on the new label, blessed be the name of the Lord. Y'all are set free from yesterday. Amen and amen. The old has passed away and I'm looking at a room full of new creation. So, Many of us have had these moments in our lives where we have been the recipient of this great generosity. And this great man's benevolence is really and truly a wonder to Ruth, but her sweetness and her humility, she can't account for it. Why me? Boaz explains in verse 11, all that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me. And how you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. He lets her know that the whole town has been talking. And if there was any kind of nasty gossip, Boaz has been able to read between the lines, so to speak. Remember, a mighty man of wealth, excellent mental capacities. But I would like to think better of Bethlehem and credit the people with discernment because Ruth's tender love toward her mother-in-law has left no room for hateful talk. Would that I would live that way. She must have been a complete astonishment to the whole community. They hated Moabites. And this girl from the toilet bowl is lovely and kind and servant-hearted. She left no room in her, with her behavior and her attitude so that they had something to criticize. We all, all of us would do well to examine ourselves and see if we are measuring up to the standard that Ruth has set. So Boaz continues, he tenders to this lovely young woman, one of my all-time favorite benedictions in scripture. This word picture just sends my heart a flight. He says, May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel. And here it is. Under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Sometimes I walk down the hall of my house doing laundry or something. And I just say to myself, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. I just love the sound of it. It makes me wanna just, y'all ever seen that movie? Okay, totally secular. Have you seen the movie, The, the Rescuers Down Under? It's a little animated thing with the little mice and they go save the kid in Australia. Okay, there's this scene where this eagle, this golden eagle named Marahutek, I'd forgotten all about it, but we have a granddaughter now. And so all of a sudden we were watching this movie. Well, there's this scene where this little boy is on the back of this eagle and its wings are soaring. And the eagle brings it to, uh, or, or I guess he's in the talons. And so the little guy has his feet in the water and they're like, it's water skiing. But the propulsion is the eagle who's flapping its wings and the kid's like, woohoo! And then they come to the waterfall that is like you know 8,000 million miles high. And so the kid just leaps out over the waterfall and he's just soaring. And you're thinking he's gonna crash. And here comes that eagle whoosh and picks him up. I wanna be that kid so bad. I wanna be that kid. I just love it. When I watch it, it brings tears to my eyes. I just think it's so beautiful. So anyway, under the shadow of his wings, under on top, I don't care. I wanna be involved in in the wings. Psalm 17, verse eight. Oh yes, look at the picture. Isn't that dear? Keep that image in your mind when I tell you the story that's coming up. Here's some uh, references for your notes. Psalm 17:8. Keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Psalm 63:7. seven. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. And the last one, Nahum 1, 7. The Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knows those who take refuge in him. Under the shadow of his wings, Ruth has come to seek refuge. And she's been diligent in her search and in her service. Again, may we all of us endeavor by the power of the spirit to be diligent and faithful, to be Ruth-like as we seek refuge under the shadow of his wings. She is now a woman of faith, faith in the God of Israel. And we know that without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God, I love the King James. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And y'all, she put her back into it. Look again at Boaz words in verse 12. May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Y'all that he's praying for her there. We would call that intercessory prayer. Jesus Christ, our Goel, ever liveth to make intercession for you. He is a model of Jesus, and we will talk about that more in a minute. In Matthew 23, Jesus talks about gathering Israel under his wings. And to me, this is one of the most heart-wrenching moments in all of the Savior's earthly ministry. And it makes this image of taking refuge under the shadow of his wings really, really precious to me. Um, In 1988, many of you may remember that there was a huge fire that raged through and nearly wiped out the Old Faithful complex in Yellowstone National Park. 600,000 acres were destroyed. Thousands of firefighters fought that fire and dozens of helicopters and other aircraft were employed in, the fi- in that fight. 4,000 military personnel were deployed to help and it eventually cost about $120 million to get that fire under control. That's impressive. That was a big raging fire. But here's a small little moment that came out of it. I heard about one of those firefighters who was walking through a, a still sort of smoldering area and he had a long pike pole and they would go through and kind of poke and prod and lift things to see if there might be something that could catch again. So he's walking around and he's kind of clearing the area and he came around to the offside of one of those big trees and there was this charred, Dead bird there, wings outstretched like this. And on a whim, he decided to flip it over. And when he took that pole and flipped that dead bird over, he was greeted with cheep, 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 cheep. Instinctively, this mother bird knew the safest place for her chicks was on the ground, on the offside of the tree as the fire raged through and she gathered them together, spread her wings over them and gave her life so that they could live. And that is in part what I see Jesus his heartbreaking, looking at Jerusalem and weeping. How long I have desired to gather you about me as a hen would gather her chicks. And the King James again, so poignant, but you would not. That just must break his heart. His wings are outstretched and he's waiting for us to come, but we would not. How much acreage in our lives will have to be destroyed because our redeemer and our friend is not accepted in that offer. Ruth humbly and graciously accepts the protection and the provision of Boaz. And again, reminds him and everyone else that's witnessing this interaction that she is a foreigner, but he's not half finished. Verse 13, then she said, I have found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and indeed have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. She told Naomi when she asked permission to go and glean, she was seeking favor. Let me go glean in a field, in someone's field with whom I will find favor. She sought it, she got it, and she was grateful for it. And again, this is the thing that was driven home to me this week. How many times do you ask, seek, and knock? And then when you get, you just go on your merry way without turning to say, thank you. This is the pattern. She did go out and she sought favor and she got exactly what she was looking for. And she acknowledges it with grateful humility. I have found favor in your sight, my Lord. She's on her face before him at this moment. Then it goes on verse 14. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here that you may eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers and he served her roasted grain and she ate and was satisfied and had some left. The landowners were certainly not required to feed lunch to the poor folks that were gleaning in their fields, especially not from their own tables. And don't miss this, Boaz serves Ruth. And what does he serve her? Bread and wine. Does that ring a bell with anybody? Okay, this is a great place for us to talk about typology or models in scripture. Remember that Jesus told his disciples just hours before he went to the cross, he said in John 14, 29, now I have told you before it happens so that when it happens, you may believe. So we're gonna build on that. If you will turn to Romans chapter 15, hold your place in Ruth, Romans 15, verse four. And we are going to add some links into this chain about typology or models in scripture. Romans 15, four. All righty. It reads, for whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. Now, Paul is writing this, so when he says whatever was written in earlier times, what is he referring to? The Old Testament, because he's writing the New Testament while he's writing the New Testament. So when he says something written in earlier times, he's referencing the Old Testament. Whatever was written, in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, the Old Testament, we might have hope. The Bible in its entirety, old and new, was given to us for our learning. And what are we learning about? Jesus Christ. In every detail, on every page, somehow Jesus is there. Remember, he said of himself, the volume of the book is written of me. I delight to do your will, O God. So as we study the word, we are unfolding Christ to our understanding on every page, in every detail, in some way. What a wonder. It was to me when I first realized that the day that I realized that Jesus Christ is indeed on every page. I bless that day, y'all. The revelation of that was compounded when I read Hosea, and I'll read this one to you. Hosea 12, 10. I have it here in the King James. It says, I have also spoken by the prophets, the Lord used prophets to deliver his message to all of us. I have spoken by the prophets. How did I speak to them? I multiplied visions and used similitudes by the ministry of the prophets. A similitude is a resemblance or a likeness. This is similar to that similitude. you hear the root in there? Okay. The new American standard translates the word parables. And we know that Jesus used parables all the time to great effect. So we should not be surprised that the Old Testament prophets used parables about the coming Messiah when the Messiah used them to his advantage with great effectiveness. In fact, I think we're surrounded by similitudes every day. For example, when we look at a fruit bearing tree, we can Make the analogy, compare, see a similitude there between ourselves as bearers of the fruit of the spirit. And there are times in the life of any fruit-bearing tree when the tree is dormant. You may feel in a dormant place right now as a fruit bearer. But there are also times when there are blossoms on the tree and this stuff doesn't happen in quick succession. You need the seasons that are appropriate. So you have dormancy, you have blossom, you have the hope of fruit, but it's not quite ripe yet. And then when the fruit is finally ripe, it becomes a source of health to the body and something that is a pleasure to enjoy. I learned this by getting my hands in the dirt in a very powerful way. Years ago, when we were homeschooling our kids, they're all grown now, we did a unit study of World War I. So we had to build a trench because when you're studying World War I, you gotta have a trench. So on the side of our yard, we dug a 20 foot by five foot by five foot trench. And I'm telling you, what are you gonna do with all that dirt? And I said, well, let's pile it over on the fence there and we'll make it a vegetable garden. So here's what I learned, planting a vegetable garden in the desert. (laughs) It is laborious work. It required a pickaxe. Now, I don't know if any of y'all are from other parts of the country where you just spit a seed out and it grows. That is not Arizona. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So first we had to choose that location for the garden, first the choice. Then we had to break up all that fallow ground, as I said, with a pickaxe. Then we had to amend the soil. Just preparing that caliche, that rock hard Arizona dirt to receive a seed was extremely costly. It cost time, it cost money, it cost great effort. It was extremely costly. Then we had to choose just the right type of plant for the season. This is how I learned that plants do have seasons, even though they'll grow and be beautiful. I planted cucumber and it grew the most healthy, beautiful, fruitful vines, but they were as bitter as gall. And I had to just uproot them and throw them all in the garbage can. And I'd given a pretty good size portion of the plot to the cucumber, it was a very sad day. I tried y'all, I tried everything I could to debitter them and there was no having it. So anyway, you have to choose just the right season, uh, plant, uh, seed for the season. Then you've got to water it, weed around it, stake it up if necessary, prune it when it's needed and protect it from the hot sun. And finally, we were able to enjoy the fruit. The process did not happen overnight. And the resemblance to my walk with Christ is in every stage of this process. And I will tell you, I didn't catch all of this until long after. While I was doing it, it was physically exhausting and sweaty and frustrating and a lot of other things. But when the fruit finally came and some time went by, then the Lord began to say, now you've observed this. Take it back to the word and see how you can apply it. And this is what he taught me from this similitude. First, he chose me. He chose me before the foundation of the world. But then I came along stubborn and hard as flint. And he had to take his pickaxe, his plow to the fallow ground of my heart. What did it cost him to prepare the soil of my soul? He bankrupted heaven. To do it because of his great love for this world and the pearl of great price. He saw buried in the field. He sold all that he had. Then he carefully chose to plant in my life the right seed for the right season. And he tended those seeds with living water and while All of this was going on. He was a shield about me. He was protecting me from the scorching sun, the fiery darts of the enemy. And when I needed it, he pulled out the weeds. He pruned back the dead and the worthless. And then he would stake me up. He was the lifter of my head when I needed that too. And then all of these things, let the healthy, fruitful part of me continue to grow and develop and mature. Oh, yeah, I love a similitude. I think they're around us everywhere. He has a way of communicating with our finite human minds in a way that is impacting and memorable and attainable. Look about you all every day for types or models, pictures, similitudes, analogies, whatever word you like to use. Look about you every day for these things. Take them back to Scripture and then apply them to your life as the Lord is encouraging you to do so. And I think our Bible is filled with many, many more of these because the volume of the book is indeed written about our savior, Jesus. Amos writes, surely the Lord does nothing unless he reveals his secret counsel to his servants, the prophets. The entire plan of salvation is explained And the glory of the Lord Jesus is magnified on every page of scripture. And we get to discover it all. You know, you are a royal priesthood, a royal priesthood. That means you're kings and queens of God. And he says in the Proverbs, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings to search out a matter. This book, the book of books, is indeed written about the Lord Jesus. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So as we go through Ruth, I want to begin to look at Ruth through that lens of similitudes. Ruth, uh, or excuse me, Boaz stands as a type, a model, of similitude of Jesus Christ. Everything that Boaz does for Ruth, Jesus does for you and me. Ruth is a type, a model of the Gentile bride. And Naomi is a type of Israel. Now, Israel teaches the Gentile bride everything she needs to know about the law. But Israel receives and understands redemption through the Gentile bride. And that is something that is an impacting part of this story. The history part of this story is fun and interesting and entertaining. And there's a lot of fun stuff to go into in the book of Ruth. But when you discover your Goel and the romance of redemption that's taking place, oh, sister, that's an adventure all on its own. But as you're going through your Bible and you're studying, make a list of these things that you think might be a similitude of Jesus Christ. Pray about it, search it out, see if you can apply Jesus to even the most obscure story in the word. And he will unfold to your mind some of the most amazing things. And of course, I cannot resist to point them out to you when I see them, but I'm not gonna tell you all of them because I don't wanna rob you of your joy. But for example, right here in chapter two, verse 14, Boaz says, at mealtime, he said to her, Come here, that you may eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. The vinegar is a kind of sour wine. Y'all, Boaz is serving her communion. He is serving her. He might have said, Come here, Ruth, you are weary and heavy laden, and I would like to give you rest and refreshment. And Jesus would add to that, Do it often in remembrance of me. After this lunch, at which Boaz serves Ruth, she goes out to continue gleaning and he continues to shower blessings upon her behind her back. Again, that's just a little one of those sense of humor moments for me, of the Lord. Ruth could not help but notice his kindness at lunch. Everybody could not have helped but notice this great man is serving this Moabite gleaner. But now she is completely unaware of what he is doing on her behalf. Boaz instructs his staff in verses 15 and 16. When she rose to glean, Boaz commanded his servants saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not insult her. The Hebrew word there is to shame or humiliate. Do not insult her. Also, you shall purposely pull out for her some grain from the bundles and leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. The King James again, let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose. That's another one of those expressions I absolutely adore, handfuls of purpose. This is just like our Lord, y'all. He is watching out for us. He cannot take his eyes off you. And he's watching everything you do. And he is making your load easier, pouring out blessings. And often he's using someone else to do the job. Notice though, he does not, Boaz does not remove her burden. He does not negate the fact that she still needs to go out there and do the labor. He just makes the job infinitely easier for her. And it's not more than she can handle. He's not giving her truckloads of purpose or even buckets full. He's giving her handfuls of purpose she's hard at work she's picking up every little grain that she can find and all of a sudden perhaps because it's a heads head down work right? She's down there picking up, picking up. And maybe she stands up to stretch her weary back. And she looks around and she realizes she's crossed over into unharvested territory. And she's, oh dear, I'm going to get a scolding, but it never comes because Boaz has already told his staff, if she happens to wander into a part that y'all haven't got to yet, you just let her go. Do not insult her. So the scolding never comes. And when evening comes, Ruth was heavy laden with the bounty that she'd gleaned. And when she arrives back home, Naomi will give voice to the degree of amazement that you and I should feel. Verse 17. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. She took it up and went into the city and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also took it out and gave Naomi what she had left after she was satisfied. She took a doggy bag home from the lunch that Boaz served her. So she's giving her this enormous quantity of grain and then the doggy bag as well. Her mother-in-law, verse 19, then said to her, where did you glean today? And where did you work? May he who took notice of you be blessed. This is the first moment of rejoicing we hear out of Naomi's mouth in the whole book. Ruth arrives home after one day with an ephah of barley. Y'all, that is roughly 22 liters. If you've ever bought soda or anything in a two liter bottle, 11 of those full of grain. And depending on how you want to weigh and measure things, it's anywhere from about 29 to 49 pounds of grain. She worked hard for it. She gathered, she winnowed, she carried it. She went to the field and back home again. No ordinary individual taking advantage of the law of gleaning would have come home with this kind of bounty. And Naomi recognized it at once. And then Naomi hears who the responsible party is. is. And I'm sure that any residual bitterness In her heart just melted away in the twinkling of her Jewish mother's eye. So Ruth continues in verse 19. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, 'The the name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. And the clouds part and the heavens open and the angels begin to sing. And Naomi hatches a plan. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed to the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead. Again, Naomi said to her, the man is our relative. He is one of our closest relatives. Y'all, that means Boaz can be their Goel if he is willing. But will he be willing? You'll have to come back next week to find out. (laughs) Let's pray. Father God, your word is indeed a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And you have illuminated a lot for us today. I pray that you would quicken our hearts to focus on any correction that you have for us. And may you find us as quick as Ruth to embrace and apply. Thank you so much, Lord Jesus, for stretching out your wings and inviting us to come under your protection. And thank you for all the handfuls of purpose that you have and you will continue to provide. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for declaring us holy and blameless in Christ our Goel, in whose name we pray. And the beautiful bride of Christ says, amen. Now, Go and sin no more, y'all.